0: Welcome to The Struggle Is Real, a show for 20-somethings that are trying to figure out adulting. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Each episode, we focus on solving a problem that we will face throughout this defining decade that wasn't covered in the classroom. This could include topics about our career, health, relationships, and money. Let's get into it. Our teenage years present many challenges. One universal obstacle that I saw few of us avoid was the trap of comparing ourselves to others particularly our physical bodies. Someone was always thinner, more muscular, prettier, taller, even had better skin. Many of those thoughts and feelings never went away, but progressing through our 20s, we not only realize, but start to believe there are way more important facets of ourself than our outward appearance. Realizing it and getting there are two different things though. It's hard to embrace and embody all of our physical attributes, especially those areas we've always been insecure about and others that are becoming more apparent as we age. Even though I'm not quite sure I'll ever fully get to loving my entire body, there are actions my guest believes that we can take to get closer. I'm excited to introduce you to Sophie Killip, a mental health counselor and coach. Sophie's philosophies include working towards body acceptance, embracing size diversity, and looking at health from a holistic viewpoint, not one singular measurement like weight. We have a great conversation about why fat is not a feeling, normalizing body diversity, replacing self-criticism with self-compassion, and much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the compassionate, insightful, authentic Sophie Killip. Sophie, super excited to have you on the podcast. A little nervous, honestly, because this is a topic that isn't necessarily in my sweet spot or my wheelhouse. I invited you on the podcast, though, because you're really approachable. And I feel like you're the perfect person to come along in this journey and kind of push me into this uncomfortable zone. You're, you're real, but you're not going to be like scholarly in this whole conversation. Like you're just going to provide this rawness and this realness that I think I really need in this conversation. So I'd love to start out with just a little bit of definitions that I think um, need to be defined as we're going to probably use them throughout this conversation. And that's body positivity in body neutrality. I've definitely heard the phrase body positivity a lot. I never really heard the phrase body neutrality. I'm not exactly sure what's the difference between the two and what is the important distinction between them.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. That was such a nice introduction and I feel very honored to be here and kind of help in this process for you and to also just highlight that um, I'm definitely on my own journey. You know, I have my experience um, and, and this is kind of my area of expertise, but I am learning every single day on this subject and I think it's growing all the time. Um, so to to go off of your first question, body positivity and body neutrality. Body positivity um, is is usually the term that most of us have heard about. I think it's become this big buzzword, um, and actually it started off with the um, fat rights movement. So this was led by Black queer women, and I think that it's in re- it's really important to remember that because. Um, body positivity was all about and still is it's all about loving and celebrating your body for what it is regardless of its shape or size so that's body positivity and that might kind of be centered around like the way it looks but also what it does for you Um, and so body neutrality I I believe kind of came after body positivity. I think it dates back to around like 2010 from what I've researched so far. Um, And body neutrality is not having positive or negative emotions about your body. It's knowing that you are so much more than your body and your worth is not defined by the way that you look. And I actually used to think that body neutrality and body acceptance were like interchangeable terms. But I've come to learn that there's, there's, there's this other term called body acceptance, um, which is just accepting your body for the way that it is. So they're probably quite similar to one another. But um, I think it's, it's probably important that we kind of distinguish those three terms. Um, and, and to just know that they are kind of slightly different from one another. And as a person, you know, you can really like weave in and out of them. Um, but each of them is really there to kind of figure out which one maybe you feel as though you fit into more. Um, and, and, you know, not everybody is going to experience that like love and appreciation for their body every single day. So that's why I think having something like body neutrality or body acceptance, it just, it takes the pressure off basically, which obviously we can talk a bit
0: more about. Mm, Yeah. Interesting. Thanks for that definition. i think think I understand the difference now between neutrality and acceptance as well, which was really Mm -hmm. helpful. Are those recent terms? I know you like a lot of the research and you're pretty heavily involved in this space. Did neutrality and acceptance pop up recently?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was always really about positive body image for a long time and i would say it's only been in the past like year or two where i've really delved a lot deeper into this area that i've become familiar with body neutrality um i mean body acceptance i feel like it, it kind of is what it says on the tin you know um it, it's probably something that like i knew existed but i think it it's really becoming more of a movement like the body positivity movement is i'm
0: kind of curious it seems like i'm, I'm really interested to get your opinions on it, kind of where we've come. You posted, I remember you and I were chatting on Instagram maybe a month ago or so, and you posted this interview from the 90s and just like how unwoke it was, like this interviewer asking about this actress's weight. And it was just like really, really gross. I feel like we've made a lot of strides even since like the 90s. Obviously, both of us are in our 20s, so we don't really have like a lot of hindsight in terms of where we're coming from and, and where we are now, but do you feel like this movement is in the right direction? It, has it stayed flat or are we going the opposite direction here?
1: Yeah, we've definitely come a long way. Oh my gosh, when I looked at that video um, and just for reference, it was um, a part of a documentary of the Spice Girls where it, um, it, it highlights all of the criticism that they received from different people on on tv Um, there's this one scene with victoria beckham and she's just had um, one of her sons and so the the talk show host is saying like oh have you have you got back to your to your weight oh let's weigh you on the scales and she literally steps on the scales and they make sure that she is at a quote-unquote like normal weight I, i didn't even i didn't know whether to just feel like nauseous or to just feel so incredibly angry yeah yeah so I definitely think that we have come a long way based off of videos like that and actually what you were saying about maybe not being as aware of kind of the impact that maybe like the media or social media can have on you until you are in your 20s, I think that we didn't experience, we didn't realize the impact when we were like children or teenagers, you know, because think about like all of these magazines and, uh, you know, there's quite a few different um, Instagram influencers that post these like old magazines from the 90s of just absolutely punishing and criticizing Mostly women, but also men, and you know, all people for the way that they look. Um, You know, as like a headline to literally reel people in. So, if that's the stuff that we were seeing all the time when we were younger, we're going to be ingraining all of that as we grow into teenagers and then into our 20s. So, yeah, I think we have definitely come a long way. I think that there is still more to go. Um, And I think that with body positivity, even though the intention behind it is really great, um, the marginalized bodies that, you know the the people that actually started it that didn't feel as though they fit into this ideal of beauty they've kind of been pushed out because Mm. actually when you look up body positivity especially on a social media platform like Instagram most of the pictures that get the the most attention and the most likes are from um like thin white women um and and so that's kind of why body neutrality and body acceptance um, became a bigger movement. So I I just think that we need to be careful around like what we're actually advocating for here and to really highlight that this is not just about um, like one type of body, this is about all bodies, especially those that are marginalized. And I do think that as a society, we still are very fat phobic and we see being fat as this bad thing. You know, if you like, well, I would say probably more so for women, but if you receive a compliment, it's often around like looking thin. Um, and, and then even like for men, it's about like looking toned or muscular and this this word fat, we use it in a very negative way. And I think we need to let go of that. I think we need to ditch this idea that being fat or having fat on our bodies is a bad thing. So there's definitely a long way to go in that sense.
0: Yeah. Let's put a pencil in our thoughts around fat right now. I want to get back to it um, Mm -hmm. because I'd love to, to pry a few more things out of you there, but you're right. I just... Looked up the body positivity hashtag on Instagram and I don't know really? if it's my um my algorithm, but yes, you're right. Most of what I'm getting, at least a third of the pictures here are thin mm-hmm. white fitness ladies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sure if that's what this hashtag is trying to no. encompass right now, which that's is actually not
1: really what, it's not what body positivity is about either. It's about like loving and celebrating all bodies. And yes, let's celebrate the bodies that do fit into the beauty ideal, but let's have that same energy towards marginalized bodies as well. And let's see more diversity on on platforms like social media and, and just generally, you know, within media and Hollywood and things like that. So um Yeah, it's definitely taken a bit of a strange turn. And I also think that because of it being this buzzword, companies are profiting off of it. So they know that, you know, plus size fashion and and using the word body positivity and just slapping it at the front of what they do is going to get people's attention. Mm. In fact, apparently plus size fashion is a $180 billion industry for women. For men, apparently it's a $1 billion industry. So I'm like, what, <laughs> what is going on?
0: That's the big and tall um, section in the back there. Like we <laughs> we don't necessarily have the same yeah. connotation around that.
1: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, so that there's a lot of money in this. And I think that that is also part of the problem. So it just feels like the power has kind of been taken away in, in some ways. Um, but, you know, if, if we look at it from like, um, if we look at this objectively, Positive body image is all about reframing negative thoughts about the way you look into more positive self talk. And that I think is great. And I think if you can achieve that, then that is brilliant. But nobody should feel the pressure to constantly feel positively about the way we look when we Mm -hmm. live in a world that has got so much pressure and so much criticism around what we should
0: or shouldn't look like. It's, it's an interesting world that we're in right now because we in, in one sense, we have like these rise of superstars like Lizzo and Kim Kardashian that don't necessarily mm-hmm. would would be the 90s like role model body, beauty body that's out there that everybody was striving for. So I think the rise of some of these celebrities um, and how they've embraced their own bodies has really helped progress this movement um, towards body positivity and, um, body acceptance in general, do you feel like, is there a celebrity or a brand? I know you mentioned there, you know, a lot of brands are just slapping the label on and profiting from this, but from, from, in your own opinion, is there a celebrity or a brand that's really embracing this, this movement the right way?
1: Mm. The one that I can think of is um Aerie, in which which is based in America, you know, like the American Eagle. I think Aerie is like the underwear slash swimwear brand. Okay. For a long time. Have you have you heard of this brand? I, I don't think so. How do you spell it? Really? A-E-R-I-E. Yeah. So um, American Eagle has like another brand, another, I don't know if it's like a sister company or if it's like underneath. Um, So they have a a campaign called Airy Be Real. And they've been doing that actually for, well, (laughs) a long time, in my opinion, several years at least before all of this really, really blew up. Mm. Um, And so it's all about... um, they they don't retouch any of their photos. They try and get models that have more kind of a quote unquote normal um figures. Iskra Lawrence, my gal. <laughs> <laughs> she she has been my one of my big, big inspirations. Um and she has really always been about body positivity and, you know, loving yourself for uh, the way that you look and just celebrating your body. And, and I do think that she is a great role model. Mm. So if I had to pick one brand, it would be Airy. And unfortunately they don't have Airy in the UK, but hopefully they will one day. And if they do, I want to be an ambassador for them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I'm sure this is a big brand. I, I'm like, the worst shopper in the world. I really try to avoid like doing any kind of shopping whatsoever. I think my girlfriend buys the majority of my clothes, so in terms of like shopping brands and clothing brands in general, I'm super out of touch. So okay. take that for what it's worth. But let's pick the conversation back up with fat. And I've heard you mention that fat is not a feeling. You have these like six core feelings and saying I feel fat isn't really describing how you feel. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah so I think um, usually when we describe uh, fat or when we say I feel fat we're in a negative way and it kind of um, covers up the, the actual emotion that's behind that. So um, what we might actually mean is that we feel ashamed of our bodies, we feel disgusted with our bodies, we feel guilty for eating something that has uh, too many calories in or something like that. So I I just encourage people to next time, they may, might have a thought like that, to kind of delve in a bit deeper like what are you actually feeling here um and so the six core emotions hopefully I will remember all of these (laughs) is um so joy sadness anger afraid ashamed lonely and then from each one of those core emotions there are other ones maybe it's jealousy maybe it's fear Maybe it's um, fe- feeling excited, feeling compassionate, you know? So if you can kind of check in with yourself by the actual feeling, that's really where you get to the bottom of, of what's going on there. And um, yeah, I, I think we need to challenge this idea that fat is seen as something that is really bad, that fat is unhealthy, because actually that is not true.
0: Mm. So what's your response? To the argument that weight is a measurement of your health. It's a biomarker that's out there that, that, um, has, you know, that people are claiming has significant on your health. What, how would you respond Mm -hmm. to something like that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a dietitian, as such, but I know that weight is just one part of your health. It is not the be all and end all, and you can have health at different sizes, um, so you have to consider other factors like your mental health, your physical health, your spiritual health, even. And there are so many things that can play a big part in how we feel in general.
0: If weight isn't the goal, are you saying that this holistic well-being is something that you strive for? Or, or yeah, let's, let's bring it into to your specific context. Like I said, if I'm, I'm guessing, you weight was a measurement that you might have been attuned to in your earlier life, and you've hopefully let that go now. Um, what are you striving for? What's kind of your your, your goal, especially around health?
1: I tend to focus on how I'm actually feeling and what I feel as though my body needs. Um, So the more I can kind of connect with what's on the inside. And I really like the term embodiment because it encompasses our subjective experience, what's really going on on the inside. Whereas the term body image, I mean, it is definitely like a a generalized word and I do still use that, but it does sort of relate to maybe how we're being perceived by other people, how we're being perceived by society. So really embodying this idea of health. Okay, what does my body need right now? What does my mind need right now? Because, and th- this is something that's that's probably very much up for debate but let's take exercise for example we in society often hear this message of like dig in keep going like just you know give it your all give it 150% and actually doing that can hurt our bodies you know, we can end up over exercising. We can become obsessed with exercising. We can become hyper fixated on it. And that's not health either. So um, I'm I'm not sure whether you're familiar with the term orthorexia. Um, It's not actually in the DSM at the moment, but it's this kind of obsession with just being so, 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 so healthy um, to the point where that is all you're thinking about. And from the outside, that person might look like, okay, they exercise a lot, they're eating really well, they're you know, doing this, that, and the other. And actually what's going on in the inside is they're so fearful and panicked that if they eat a piece of chocolate cake or if they have some candy or something, then their body is just going to like erupt and something awful is going to happen when that's not actually the case. So going back to your question of like, do I believe in, in a holistic approach to health? Yes, absolutely. And I do think the health at every size approach has some great ideologies behind it that we we really need to start getting on board with because you know it's such a shameful experience somebody that's maybe considered to be overweight or um you know their their bmi is is con- is considering them to be obese i mean that is just such a shameful experience and i think that's part of the problem you know when it comes to eating disorders and binge eating um, binging happens because we feel ashamed of, of what our bodies look like and who we are in the first place. So criticizing somebody for being a weight that, that they shouldn't be is just not going to solve the problem. And there is so much um, out there around like obesity campaigns. And um, if you actually read the captions, there's so much judgment behind each of those things, like, you know, getting your body back into shape and really going for it and this, that, and the other. And yeah, I just, I, I really don't agree with that. And I think we need to be more compassionate and, and understanding with all of this, that there's actually a, a big mental part of it as well.
0: I would agree in preparation for our conversation. i just went out and downloaded and listened to a lot of conversations around body image. And what I found a lot of the people speaking on it were like former athletes. So they were like collegiate athletes and they were hyper obsessed with their weight, their diet, all these different things, especially if they were in like a weight specific sport, like wrestling or rowing was somebody I was listening to. And i could tell the mental toll that it took on took on her to um to be in this hyper state for so long and to like actually let it go um it was quite the transformation i was actually really really surprised about that mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah i think it, it they also um call it like anorexia athletica so you know there's a lot of sports players that can really suffer with this and they don't realize what they're doing either that's kind of the the trouble with something like body dysmorphia you don't actually see things for what they are because your mind is in such a, a negative and such a Um, anxiety-focused state with all of this. When I was actually living in America, I took part in the NIDA walk, the National Eating Disorders Association walk um, in Seattle. And there was a baseball player there who spoke um, about his experience of suffering with anorexia. And um, I think he actually stopped playing baseball. He was in the what's like the the professional baseball major league baseball like yeah 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 i think he used to play for seattle mariners actually okay um and and his story was just it was so wonderful and the fact that he was just sharing that with all of these people because that's the other thing with um eating disorders and obviously there's such an overlap with body image but um men and boys are experiencing this more and more as well it definitely used to be something that was mostly women and whether it's just that there's more research being done or whether men are just being more affected by this is um kind of up for debate at this point but i think a lot of men are actually coming out and speaking about this for the first time as well so it's not a gender specific issue that's for sure
0: yeah. I love that. We're making strides in that space. Cause you're right. I, I don't hear too many people talking about this in general, a little bit more now, the older that I get. And if I did hear it, it was usually from a female. Very rarely do I, I hear my male friends talking about their body and the things they love about it and embody and embrace and the things they don't necessarily love about it and haven't quite accepted yet or things like that. I just think it's I mean, men with talking about their feelings still have a long way to go in general, um, but I'm so glad that people like this baseball player are stepping up and allowing people to be, to have some courage and almost like give people the authority to go out and talk about it because inside of that, that this discussion is hopefully a little bit of healing as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we just need to normalize talking about a topic like body image um, when it comes to men and mental health in general. But having role models like him and and I forget his name. I I need to (laughs) need to find his name. I'm sorry that I can't remember it right now. Um, But also um, like Will Smith, his recent YouTube series. And also, um, have you ever watched the show Jane the Virgin? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's one of my favorite shows. <laughs> um, and the 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 male actor from that in the show he's called Raphael, and I've forgotten his name again. But he has a brilliant TED talk about um, why it's okay for men to to cry and be vulnerable and and show their emotions. Um, but obviously within the umbrella of mental health, having men actually talk about maybe some of their insecurities around you know the pressures that they experience, it, it's probably quite different. Um, um, than that of women, you know, if if we're speaking with like, um, men and, and women here, but there's that pressure to, um, you know, be muscular and to be tall and to, to even be like a provider and to have a six pack and to, um, look like the, the Abercrombie models. (laughs) Um, but recently there has been more focus on, um, like, Uh, body diversity within men's clothing. And uh, Rihanna's brand Fenty has, is like one of the first brands to start doing plus sized um, clothing for men. I don't like the term plus size. I think it's lame to be honest, Mm. because- What would you replace it with? nothing like why why do we have to yeah it's just a size like mm. we'd okay I mean I guess we have like petite don't we but do we really need those terms aren't they all just sizes at the end of the day mm. uh, maybe you know it can be helpful to distinguish it but it really does like um, and I'll speak from personal experience here I have um, a couple of friends who shop in the petite section which is absolutely fine but when we would go shopping and I was a teenager a couple of them would go off to the petite section and I remember feeling really quite ashamed of not going to that section and thinking oh gosh I wish that I could go to that section and I don't, I don't know why, I don't know what benefit it would have served me, but I did. I just felt this like real shame and sadness that I couldn't go off with them. And you know they would have had their own insecurities as well, but just speaking from personal experience, th- this is something that I clearly started to struggle with when I was a teenager and I probably didn't even realize it or I probably wasn't able to give it a name at the time.
0: Yeah, it's really fascinating that we come out of the womb, and we're being held and frequently told how beautiful we are, how cute, how adorable, all of these really great positive words. And then by the time puberty hits, we have all of these negative thoughts around our body, just like you were mentioning here, going to the mall and shopping with your friends and not being able to shop in the petite section. I mean, there's countless examples of how that, that shows up. And it's really kind of fascinating that like, even like an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old is attuned to some of these really specific, like societal norms or behaviors that are being kind of thrust out there. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I would even go as far to say that this stuff starts around the age of like four or five, which is so shocking. But that is what the research is telling us, that young people, boys and girls Are expressing body dissatisfaction at such a young age now, and yeah, it's like we, uh, you know, the coming out into planet Earth, this like amazingly beautiful experience, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, a baby, Um, and. And, you know, if you, if you look at like a baby, it usually has a lot of like chub, doesn't it? You know, babies Mm -hmm. are just cute and squishy and they're so nice to look at. And like, you know, you, you look at their like chubby belly and their chubby legs and you think of it as this really adorable thing. But then let's say you look at an a 10 year old that has chubby legs or, or a chubby tummy and then it becomes a problem mm-hmm. and then there's that question of like oh um are the parents overweight as well um oh what is that child eating oh you know and there's all this judgment that comes into play like why is it that we go from being birthed and it being this adorable experience to have chub and then being 10 and, and, and that not being okay, it's just, it's mind blowing to me. And I have no idea how it all started.
0: Mm. Do you want to be a parent yourself? I do. Yeah.
1: Not right now. I'm... Yeah, of course. Of course. I'm <laughs> yeah, in the but... same,
0: same boat as you. Have you given any thought to f- ways you might raise your child differently in terms of hopefully getting them to an age where of course I think it's going to be a struggle to ever get a teenage teenager to, to teenage years without a little bit of um, struggle or negativity around their own body image. But it, have you thought about things that you might do differently as a parent that would help or bridge that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have thought about it. I don't have like a list of things that I'm definitely going to do, but you know, things just pop into my head from time to time. I definitely think just normalizing normal bodies and making sure that they're exposed to, um, body diversity and to just kind of catch them. Like if I notice them, like, um, um, Maybe, maybe judging somebody else for the way that they look mm. to really kind of like challenge them on that. And even let's say like when they are watching a movie or when they're watching TV of some kind, I mean, as a parent, you obviously can't control every single thing that your child digests in terms of what they look at. But if there is something about um, whatever movie they're watching where there really isn't that diversity or normalization to challenge that, you might not always see on the TV what you might actually see in real life and really helping them to kind of realize that from a young age. Also probably the biggest thing that I will try and avoid is just commenting on their appearance in general, mm. because, you know, a- appearance does not need to be the thing that we value the most in life. And, Especially with younger girls, you know, the the compliment might be oh, you look so pretty in that dress. Oh, you know, you're going to be beautiful when you're older. And, it doesn't need to be about that all the time. I want my children to know their worth outside of their appearance. And actually I had one of the sweetest experiences the other week where um, a friend of mine at work, actually, she had her kids in the office. They were playing darts and whatnot. And um, they uh, asked me to get them something. And I thought that they were twins because they looked really similar. And the boy said, no I'm actually older than her and, and we're the same height but it's okay because I know that um, I'm still amazing even though I'm not really tall mm. or like something along those lines and he was 10 and I nearly started crying I was like that is so sweet and I said to my friend I was like you have raised your children well like the fact he can say that at that age and just know that like it's not a problem that he's not like as tall as the other kids or that his sister is the same height as him even though she's a year younger is amazing and we need those kind of conversations from a younger age as well you know I, I think of it as like you're going up the channel and you're trying to be as preventative as possible. Because we learned a lot of like our negative body image stuff when we were children and teenagers. And that's because we didn't know like how to handle it. I don't blame teachers or parents or people out there. We just, we we didn't know what the helpful thing to do was. So it's important to remember that and to just see all of this as a learning experience. And as soon as we learn something that that is good, to offer that to the people around us. Is there anything that you've thought of? Yeah, I, I,
0: through researching you, one big takeaway that I took was just really thinking about the compliments that that you, you share out. And I can definitely recall many times that I've said, wow, you look amazing. It looks like you've lost weight. And to me, obviously there's no bad intent behind that. And I was just thinking about, and, and maybe you can offer, some better suggestions for compliments. Like what are, like, what are some things that maybe you use with your friends that don't necessarily resolve or revolve around weight or their appearance in general?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is so true. You can still compliment somebody about maybe, I don't know, the energy that they're giving off or something about the way that they look without it being, around weight and around needing to look a certain way so for example you might say like oh you know I I love your smile in that picture you look so happy there or Mm. it's so good to see you today you know you're a breath of fresh air just commenting on kind of how they show up around you um you know it it might even be like oh I I love your hair today or I love the outfit that you have chosen um and so it, it just yeah it takes the Pressure off of, or it, it takes the focus away from um, seeing it as this like positive thing because you've lost weight. And I, I still get those comments now. I actually got a comment like that the other day, and I didn't, I didn't feel offended, which was amazing. You know, so, somebody said to me like, "Oh, have you lost weight? It looks like you've definitely lost a few pounds." And I was really taken aback. I was like, "Oh wow." Um, I haven't heard anything like that in a while and old me would have been like yes like I'm gonna go on another run I'm gonna skip a meal I'm gonna do something and I didn't get that like gratification that I used to get which makes me really happy that I don't care about those kind of comments anymore but also I didn't feel offended at the same time
0: So I think that's the crux of the conversation today that I really want to dive into. How did you get, how did that transformation happen? How did you get to the Sophie that you were describing prior that would have really accepted that compliment, been enthusiastic about that accomplishment, maybe even used it as fuel to continue to pursue weight loss and, and this, this journey to someone that's like, thanks, you know, that, that was, that, that's really nice, but it really didn't affect you in the way you were thinking about yourself. Mm -hmm.
1: I think I just had this big wake-up call that no matter how much weight I lose, no matter how much I try and perfect my appearance, that is not the thing that's going to make me the happiest because actually when I was probably the most obsessed with my appearance, I don't think I was that happy and I just had this realization of oh my gosh, it's not about the way that I look. It's about how I feel on the inside and Mm. my relationships and how connected I feel to the people around me, the people that I love and care about and trust. And I don't think that there was necessarily like one day where it happened, but as somebody that is very interested in this topic in general, I've really exposed myself to, many influential people thought leaders people on Instagram TED talks books you name it that don't think in the way that I used to think and sometimes it takes me a bit of time to remember that actually like some of the people around me still get sucked into that mentality Um, and that's just not what I surround myself with anymore so Yeah it's been a journey for sure and I'm 27 now. I would say that I really started to truly overcome this stuff probably only in like the last year or two Um, because even prior to that I think just like being at university and Being in your early twenties, like you really have a lot of insecurities that's from personal experience as well. And I also think from the people around me, is, is that something you can like
0: relate to a hundred percent? I mean, I I still have a lot of insecurities. That's for sure. I like admire the thing I love about like grandparents or just like that general, like, you know, 60, 70, 80 plus year olds is just like how. Candid and like unfazed, they are about so many things in life. I and my grandma was telling this me this story the other day um, that she was like at this grocery store trying to get something on the on the top shelf. She's very short; she's like under five um, five foot. And it like things fell, and it would have been like a really embarrassing moment. Like I was like kind of cringing a little bit listening to the story and be like, oh my gosh, grandma, did that really happen? she didn't care whatsoever. She was just sharing it because she thought it was like a really funny story. And like, I just admire that so much about older people in general, but yes, the older I get, the more I'm able to just laugh at myself and look past some of these things. But that's to say, I still have a lot of insecurities about a lot Mm -hmm. of different
1: things. Yeah. And I definitely struggle with insecurities as well. I think it's just maybe not so much about the way I look anymore. And it's probably shifted more to, I don't know, like my abilities and my competence levels and things like that, but definitely compared to my early twenties, I'm a lot less insecure about just, yeah, a, a, a lot of things. So, um, for those of you that are in your early 20s, hang on in there. It is a bit of a rough ride, but a question that I like to challenge myself or ask myself is, okay, imagine myself as like an eight-year-old and would I, will I care about the things that I care about now? So, you know, if you're worried about like your stomach or your legs or your nose or your teeth or your lips or whatever, will 80 year old you really care about that? Because actually we only have one life. And usually we look back at pictures of ourselves and think, oh, wow, like I actually look quite nice there. And I thought I looked awful. So just remembering that, that it's so easy to hyper-focus on whatever perceived flaws you have. Um, and try and just like take a picture of yourself and notice maybe or or name like one thing that you actually do like about the picture because we're so easy to just jump to oh my gosh this like I don't like this I don't like that and that was very accepted especially when I was younger like growing up and everything Um, but just like challenging yourself pick out something that you do like pick out I don't know the smile or like how you felt in that moment of when you, of when you took that picture. Cause that's the thing that really counts.
0: So do you have more to share around replacing this self-criticism with self-compassion or kindness, maybe even go as far as say confidence. Is there some steps that you took in your journey that, that really helped, um, tone out the self-criticism and turn up the self-compassion?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with self-criticism, oh, why do we start with this? <laughs> My, oh, it's it so is, it's, it's so big. <laughs> it's, it's, it's
0: hard because like what, what I found really interesting about this journey is like, you finally get a little bit of realization around how much self-criticism mm-hmm. that you, you've done. And then you start criticizing yourself about criticizing yourself and that's not yeah. helping either. It's like, okay, like I'm, I can't keep continue to beat myself up about beating myself up. Cause I'm, I'm just putting that self-criticism into a different mm-hmm. lane of energy.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. it's just that vicious cycle, isn't it? Of um, criticizing yourself for criticizing yourself. And in Buddhism, they call Mm. that the second arrow where like in life, we all experience, um, suffering, but what we do is we get frustrated with ourselves for suffering or for, you know, for being critical, for feeling anxious, for not feeling happy all of the time. And we, we punish ourselves so much more than we need to. So, The way that I look at the inner critic is it's likely not just going to disappear, especially overnight. So if you can focus more on tuning down, the critical thoughts that you have about yourself rather than getting rid of them altogether, that in itself just feels so much more realistic. So let's say you feel as though your inner criticism is like at volume 100. Okay. What do you need to do to try and get it down to like a 70 or a 60 instead? So one of the things that I encourage people to say is to, to just say out loud, I notice that I am having the thought of I'm not good enough, or I look ugly today, or I feel fat. So I notice that I'm that I'm having the thought that and then whatever it is. And what that does is it just separates you from the thought itself. One of the Biggest revelations I've probably ever had is that our thoughts and our feelings are not us. They are just something that we experience. So you are not going to have the same thought all day, every day for the rest of your life. It's something that comes and it's something that goes. So use your observing eye. If you kind of like imagine yourself looking down at yourself from like a bird's eye view. And say it. I notice that I'm having the thought that, or I notice that I'm feeling that. And you don't necessarily have to do anything with it. Maybe it's just that, like, you give yourself a hug or something and kind of say it back to yourself. It, it often sounds really mean. And Another exercise that might be quite helpful is kind of writing down some of the self-critical thoughts that you say to yourself, grabbing a photo of like a younger version of yourself and saying them to that younger version of yourself. Chances Mm. are you're going to be like, oh, that really cuts so deep. So just by giving yourself that space to like gain perspective, to maybe question the validity of the self-criticism in the first place, and to know that self-criticism, it's not helpful. Often we think of it as this thing that like, okay, if we put ourselves down, if we punish ourselves, if we criticize ourselves, we'll do better. And I don't know about you, but that method does not work for me. So Mm -hmm. reframing those thoughts of like, okay, um, I don't feel good enough right now. Uh, well, well, why don't you feel good enough? And, and what could you say that's just a bit more like understanding and compassionate to yourself? Maybe it's just that you don't have to have all of the answers right now. This is a learning process. Being in your 20s especially is all about growing and learning and, and, and kind of changing that critis, critical mindset to one of curiosity Like, what is actually going on here? What's at the root of this? And that's where we really start to build that self-awareness and we get to know ourselves even better.
0: I think that's a really great exercise, maybe a challenging exercise, but you can imagine yourself, you wouldn't say some of the things that you say to yourself to a younger sibling or a younger version of yourself or a best friend. Um, So speaking to yourself the same way you would speak to one of those three I think might be a good starting place to start to detach yourself from the thoughts that you're having. And also just being okay, kind of being in the gray as well. I think, um, talk twenties, which you are an ambassador of had this post out there about, you know, being in the gray and kind of being on the fringes on two different things. Like you can be vulnerable, but you can also feel powerful. Mm-hmm. Like you can be capable, but you can also feel lost. You can feel sociable, but you can also feel lonely. Like you can have you can have competing feelings and thoughts sometimes, and that mm. is okay. That is part of being yeah. human. Um, and I think there might be some interest in exploring like accountability versus self-criticism or this inner critic. I, I think there is a delineation between the two because I often challenge the listeners to be accountable and to do these things that they're not currently doing with their life, but not at the expense of, your own, you you know, your, your own thoughts and feelings about yourself as well. I think accountability helps you learn and grow and change while blaming yourself and, you know, embracing this inner critic really focuses on punishment and can be super Mm -hmm. toxic.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And just to go back to that, um, of course, you can feel two things at the same time. And, um, you know, let's take you, for example, you just shared that you do have these insecurities. And yet, here you are doing this podcast and really like pushing yourself to learn about all of these different topics. So yes, you might feel insecure. um, And you're also willing to push yourself and, and you might feel confident in other areas of your life as well so it's okay to feel both of those things at the same time and and secondly yes of course there is a huge difference between accountability and blame or self-criticism Moving away from self-criticism does not mean, oh, yes, like, let's just sort of let ourselves go and do whatever we want and not do anything and be really, like, really unproductive and be a massive slob. You know, it doesn't have to swing all the way to the other side. You can still say, okay, maybe I didn't do that as well as I could have done. Or maybe next time I will do it this way. Maybe um, I'm trying to think of, like, some other examples at the moment. So. Um, I recognise that what I did did not work out for the best, and um, next time I'm going to do it this way instead. Or and I realise that this is all a learning process. So you know, you're you're learning, you're growing, you're healing all at the same time.
0: Agreed. So Sophie, as we conclude this conversation, I'd love to leave someone with one, maybe two challenges they really gained a lot of insight from our conversation today. They want to move towards body positivity, neutrality, acceptance. What could be something that they could do maybe this week, um, or like a, a a challenge they can embrace to start sliding that direction. Mm
1: -hmm. So, One of my favorite exercises is the um, gratitude, body gratitude. And um, this is something that listeners may have already heard of, but it's very specific to um, our, our bodies and how we feel about them. So instead of focusing on what your body looks like, what it should, shouldn't look like, whether you like it or not, whether you feel positively or negatively, Focus instead on what your body can actually do for you. So the amazing thing about our bodies is that they are a vessel. They're not an ornament. They are a vehicle. They are something that really allow Mm. us to live life and to get this full experience of being on earth. So an example of feeling grateful for what our bodies can do for us is I feel grateful for my legs because they allow me to travel around the world. Or I feel grateful for my arms because they allow me to give my grandma a hug, you know, something that Mm. our body can do for us that allows us to just experience all of the joys in life. Even I love my eyes because they allow me to see beautiful places in the world and really just spend time, not just writing the sentence down and closing your book, but relishing that feeling of gratitude because gratitude is a positive emotion and we can access joy and happiness through expressing it so I'd say that's probably a really kind of um quick exercise that you can do challenge yourself to do it for like uh every day for a week or something like that write down three things that you feel grateful for about what your body can do
0: I love that so much, Sophie. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for being gentle on me in this conversation and exposing me to so many interesting concepts that I really wanted to dive a little bit deeper into. If people resonated with something that you said today, where would be the best place for them to connect and and follow you on your journey?
1: So at the moment, it would be my Instagram and my handle is at counselor sophie, and Counselor is spelt C-O-U-N-S-E-L-L-O-R. So it's a double L because I live in the UK. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. And, and we'll put that to the show notes. Any, can you share about any projects that you're working on or do you still want to keep that under wraps?
1: I've got a couple of things that I'm working on at the moment. Um, I'm kind of delving really deep into my business um, and that's something that's super exciting for 2022. So stay tuned. I've got a lot of helpful content to put out there um, and I would love to get to know anybody that is, has resonated with me. Feel free to just send me a message um, and, and let's build a community on social media and actually
0: use it for good. Love that. Awesome. Awesome. So Sophie, my final question for you, if you had the opportunity to teach a 16 week class to a group of graduating college seniors on a topic that isn't normally covered in the classroom, what would you teach and how would you teach it?
1: This was a really hard question, because there are so many things that I would want to learn more about. And, you know, having been in that position as well, um, I assume what you mean by graduating college seniors is university level, yep. right? So um, my mind kind of took me to, it's quite a scary world out there when you graduate. And there's just a lot of anxiety about what everything is going to look like. So I think I would just want to offer a class that gives people a space to really express feelings of anxiety, maybe the insecurities that they have, and almost make it as more of like a process group. So like this place for people to share, people to be vulnerable, and to offer some psychoeducation around how to deal with emotions and how to deal with difficult thoughts and maybe lack of confidence when you take that big leap from being at university to being in a job um and and just reminding people that you know they can um still do so many amazing things, and it doesn't have to work out straight away. So I'm not sure what exactly I would call that class as such, but just a normalization of of the realities in life, so that they actually feel equipped with the skills on how they can manage their mental health, how they can cope with things if they don't kind of go perfectly. Something that I really struggle with, um, even now is perfectionism, and this kind of need for everything to be perfect. So helping, um, graduating college seniors in, in kind of working towards that more, um, recovering perfectionist mindset in that like healthy striving is great, but we don't all have to be perfect straight away. Mm.
0: Wow. That's probably one of my favorite answers that I've heard on the podcast. So I really appreciate you sharing Sophie. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. You're always welcome to come back on if you have something interesting to talk about. Um, oh, thank I'm, you. I'm really really looking forward to to staying in touch.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure and I'm so glad we got to
0: connect. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you like this conversation today, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified about new episodes. If you want to connect with me, send me a message on Instagram. I'm at Justin Lee Peters. You can find show notes with links to everything we discussed today at justinpeters.co. This episode was produced by Gabby Dimeke. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Thanks for tuning in.